How many times have you been involved in a, some, in a relationship with someone or had a discussion with someone and then later on you realized you made a mistake? You said the wrong thing or you did the wrong thing. How many times has that happened? Probably we couldn't count them all. So my topic for the day is how to improve personal relations with others. I don't say that this is going to solve every problem, nor do I say this includes everything that can, can, that can come up. But it certainly covers a lot of areas, and I'm going to deal almost entirely exclusively. There will be a few texts elsewhere, but almost exclusively from the book of Proverbs. You know, if I were a young person, a teenager, just coming, be, beginning to come into my maturity, and I, I was thinking seriously about life, which doesn't happen too often with most young people. But if I, if I happen to be doing so, I could not tell you a book that would be more valuable to study and learn, and that would be the book of Proverbs. If you, understood, if you read and studied the book of Proverbs and understood what was in it, and probably 98, 99% of the problems you'd ever encounter would be circumvented or prevented. That's how valuable the book of Proverbs is. The only problem is... In this old King James language, going back to 1611, it isn't nearly as understandable and easy to grasp as it is in some of the more modern translations. So, uh, so you need to realize that when you're dealing with the Bible, a lot of times a text will not be clear and they can be made clear elsewhere. So where should we begin? Probably the number one fault and problem we all have in dealing with, other, with, with others is the control of the tongue. The perennial problem. You know, James said the man that can control his tongue is a perfect man. So it ought to tell us how far we are from, are from, uh, from perfection. Because uh, the, the tongue is, is seemingly an insoluble problem. Here in Proverbs 21, verse number 23, we read, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. So where do troubles, where, where do a large percentage of our troubles come from? What we say. Now there are reasons we say the wrong things. I'll get on to that a little bit later on. But he's going to keep your soul from troubles. You know, it doesn't say trouble, it says troubles. So there are many things that can develop as a result of the misuse of the tongue. Now let's notice Proverbs 10. Verse number 19. Um, 10, verse number 19. Here's a very good principle to go by. In the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin. So the more that one talks, the more one is going to be, create problems. I went on a fishing trip with a couple of guys in California one time. They wanted to take me out to one of these famous California rivers up in Northern California. And uh, they said it was easy to get to. And by that time, of course, I was so far out of physical shape that I wanted something easy. And they pulled up to this uh, canyon rim. And I looked down there, and about a 1,000 feet down was a river. Well, I made it down, and I made it back all right. But I'll tell you, I could hardly walk for a week after that. But that was not the problem. <laughs> the problem was that one of the fellows that went along with us in the trip, we got into the car... And he started like, started like that. And I mean, it was endless. All the way to where we went, 
Then we, when we head back home, it was the same. It was endless. I never saw anybody that could just talk on and on endlessly in my life. You know who an astute and a wise man is? It's a wise man that when he says something, it means something and it carries some weight. In the multitude of words there lacketh not sin, but he that refrains his lips is wise. Well, there's another example of of the problem we have with the tongue, and if we're not aware of it, it will get us in endless troubles. Proverbs 15, verse number 1. Here's another example. You know, often, what happens when we get riled up? You know what we often do? We just let fly the first thing that comes to our minds. Don't you wish you had perfect control? And don't I wish I had perfect control that when I get angry and upset, I keep my mouth shut, I think soundly, and I speak logically. Boy, if I could do that, I'd tell you. I'd really be happy. What does it say here? A soft answer turns away wrath. So if someone is angry and and speaking hard, then a soft answer works far better than a, a hard retort. But grievous words stir up, stir up anger. So the more that one speaks, the more one becomes uh, hot and trouble, fall, uh, trouble, trouble will follow. You remember the incident back there in the Old Testament, don't you? Jephthah had to fight the enemies and he couldn't get the Ephraimites to come and help him. He made a call out and nobody came, so he mobilized his own forces and he wiped out the enemy and the Ephraimites came over there and they were furious. They said, you didn't call us. He said, well, I did too call you. You didn't come. Then the conversation went on. We don't know how long it went on. And then the next thing, what did the Ephraimites do? They called those who lived on the east side of the river the scum of Israel and outcasts. Now, what did that lead to? The Manassites captured the fords of the river, and when the Ephraimites came across, they killed how many of them? 40,000 of them? I forget the figure. That's what hard words lead to. That's why it says here it's important. If we, if we could only learn that, and we had that kind of control. So that's a good beginning point when we're talking about improving relations with other people. It's how we, what we say, how we say it, and uh, if it's even necessary to say. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing, and this ties right in with it. Think before speaking. How many of us stop for a moment and think before we speak? Some incident comes up, and I mean, we don't stop to think. We just immediately pour out what's on our mind. And sometimes that does create problems. Proverbs 29, verse number 11. A fool utters all his mind. In other words, if, if, uh, if whatever, whatever, whatever he's talking about or thinking about, you're, you're soon going to know about it because he can't keep it quiet. I've known people, you probably have too, that if their very life depended on it, they couldn't keep their mouth shut. They just have to be talking and letting people know what they're thinking all the time. That's what it says here. A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. 
he thinks it over, and he doesn't always say what his what he is thinking. I can tell you, if he does that, he'll get along better with people. Now, here's a, a text that I like very well because this deals with the same subject, but I'm going to read it from the Living Bible. And it'll be Proverbs 13, verse number 3. Proverbs 13, verse number 3. Listen to this. Self-control means controlling the tongue. A quick retort can ruin everything. Isn't that the truth? How many times have you heard somebody just give some quick retort? And boy, that's all it took. That's why we need to think things out soundly, to think before we speak, because in improving personal relations with others, that is a major problem for a lot of people. Proverbs 15, uh, 28. The heart of the righteous studies to answer. In other words, he, he's thinking through what he says. How many times have you been in some kind of an incident and something has come up, you've said something, somebody else has said something, some incident has occurred, which at the time it really didn't register uh, what was said or what was going on. And then you got home alone and you begin to think about it and then you can see, oh yeah, ah, that's it. Aha, uh -huh, I figured that out now. That's why that was said. This is why this was done. How many times has that happened to you? It's happened plenty of times, hasn't it? But what if we participate in it at the time and add to the problem? That's what I'm getting at. So, the heart of the righteous studies to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Why is that? Because human nature is fundamentally evil. And if we just pour out what's in our hearts and minds, it'll be evil things. There's a good chance. Uh, not so much for us, because we have a measure of God's Spirit. And uh, we understand uh, that, you know, we, we should have limits. There should be limits in how far we're going to go and how far we're going to speak out. We go, and we put it, we, put, we curtail it. We exercise enough, enough self-control. But if we get angry and then we don't have any self-control and we just let it, let it pour out, what's going to come out? Evil things. Remember what... Uh, uh, James said, out of the same mouth pours blessings and cursings. It's a dichotomy, he said. It shouldn't be. So that's another example here of the tongue. We need to think before we speak. And here's one other that ties right in with it. And this is Proverbs 27 and verse number 2. Let another man praise thee and not your own mouth. Have you ever had anything to do with a braggart? Have you ever met somebody that just likes to brag all the time? Are you impressed by it? I used to really get irritated when I first started watching Muhammad Ali. At that time he was called Cassius Clay. That's what his real, his, his, his Anglo-Saxon name is. And he'd get up there, and of course he was the world's greatest boxer for a number of years, and he'd get up there, and when he got done, or when he, before he was going to enter in the fight, he'd have some poem he was going to say about the guy. Then when he got the fight over with, he'd pronounce another poem, how he'd whipped him good, and then he would say, I'm the greatest. I'm the world's greatest. It was an act, of course. He was the world's greatest, but it was an act. But it irritated a lot of people. 
So, uh, you know, sometimes it can work to your advantage and sometimes to your, to your disadvantage, but more than likely when it comes to a, a matter of some person who's always telling his accomplishments and he's bragging about himself, it's going to do him a lot more harm than good because it will not take people long to figure out he's just a bag of wind. That's why it says here, let another man praise you. If, if you're going to receive praise, let somebody else do it. Don't praise yourself. And a stranger, let a stranger do it, not your own lips. So there's another example of thinking before speaking. Learning to think before speaking. Now next, again, this ties in with often what we say, but it can involve other things too. And that is, control the temper and defer anger. Control the temper. Now if you've had a temper problem all your life, it is a struggle. It's the hardest struggle you'll face. Because I'll tell you this, if you lose your temper, you know what you've done? You've sinned. Because it is, an, it is not an act of love. And generally it's, a lack, it's an act of hate. As I said the other day, accepting the doctrine is one thing. You know, once we understand and God has opened our eyes to grasp the doctrinal truths and we accept those, I get, that's easy compared to Struggling against the self the rest of our lives. Some people find it so difficult they can't even take the steps necessary to accept and believe the doctrine. But when it comes to the self, fighting and overcoming that, that's endless. So notice here Proverbs 12, verse number 16. Proverbs 12, verse number 16. A fool's wrath is presently known. But here's a man that's wrathful, but he's also a fool. And what does it say about him? He just lets it all hang out. It's presently known right away. But a prudent man covers shame. Now, I like the way, I forget which modern translation has this. It's probably a, a, more of an accurate uh, intent of what the text meant here. It says, a prudent man overlooks an insult. He overlooks an insult. Now, if we could get to the place where we could overlook insults and we just let her roll like water off a duck's back, you know, we'll, we'll be making real progress. It's, 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 it's difficult to overlook an insult. That's what we have to do. Proverbs 14, 17. He that is soon angry, in other words, he has a hair trigger temper. He that is soon angry deals foolishly. So when we talk about relations with others, I can tell you, you can be guaranteed you're going to suffer an insult. You will suffer some kind of a, of a um, um, put down of some type or another. You will just automatically have to experience that as a, as a part of this human life. It isn't, be, it isn't because people are always just trying deliberately trying to get you. It's often because they don't think what they're saying. They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Other circumstances enter in and they don't take into consideration everything that you may be aware of, and so that's going to happen. Now the question is, how do you react? Do you get hurt feelings? Well, if one gets hurt feelings, I can tell you what it is. It's this principle right here. Hurt feelings usually lead to anger and resentment. It's uncalled for. And it illustrates this principle here. He that is soon angry deals foolishly because he'll just... Let it fly. 
And he'll make a lot of enemies that way. Proverbs 14, verse number 29. See, I said we controlling the temper and deferring anger. Those are very important principles in learning to get along with other people. And you read here, verse 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. That doesn't mean one never should become wrathful. No. There certainly are times when those things probably are justified. But I can tell you, if he's slow to wrath, he'll be able to think it through soundly, and then he will ask himself, was it legitimate? And he'll be able to answer the question. Well, let me give you an example. How many times have you gotten, you who are married, gotten an argument with your wife? Now, you think back six months or a year or two years from now, can you remember what the argument was even about? So how important was it? See, at the time someone gets upset about some kind of an issue, it's really blown out of proportion because their emotions are not in control, and so they're not controlling their temper and their anger, and it's being blown up to a lot greater than what it even ever, ever should have been. And then later they can't even remember what it was about. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalts folly. That's right. He's pushing folly up to the forefront. In other words, he's making a fool out of himself. There's an old saying, it's a sort of a paraphrase of the Proverbs, but it certainly is true. It goes to the effect... It is better to keep your mouth shut and be thought of as a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. So that's a good rule and principle to follow when it comes to uh, controlling the temper. Proverbs 16, verse number 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. We talk about some of the great men of the past. You know, to, to this very day, if you... Uh, if a consensus has been made, and I've heard these made numerous times on various occasions as to who the greatest general that ever lived was, and they still say to this day it was Alexander the Great. With an army of 40,000 Macedonians, he defeated armies of a million men. And you know how, what he did one time? He was drinking. He got enraged to his very dear and very best friend and killed him. After he sobered up, he realized what he had done. He had done, but it was too late. That's right. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that rules his spirit, that is, he has control of his mind and his spirit, he's greater than he that takes a city. That's how God evaluates it. So that's how important it is to recognize that this, uh, this temper thing, this anger thing can really be a curse if we don't exercise control and, uh, and handle it properly. Proverbs 19, verse number 11. The discretion of a man, or if you'll notice what your marginal rendering says, the prudence. The prudence of a man defers his anger. He doesn't act on it at a time. He just defers it. He sets it aside and he thinks it over. And then perhaps it's legitimate. Uh, maybe the situation is justified. If it is, he'll be able to think logically and soundly. But how many of us can think logically and soundly when we're angry? Very few. So, as we read here, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. 
So really, if a man can overlook these kind of things, that's considered a glory. But most people don't view it that way. The way they view it is that I've got my rights and no one's going to walk all over me and I'm going to tell them a thing or two. I'll give them a piece of my mind. How many times have you thought that yourself? So it does illustrate the problem we face when it comes to the matter of anger. Now, that leads to the next thing. Getting along well with other people means overlooking insults. Sometimes people will insult you and they don't even realize they insult you. I knew of one man, and he was the type of a personality that even his compliments were an insult. There are people like that. You just have to recognize the problem you have when you're dealing with somebody like that and overlook insults. Proverbs 12, verse number 16. You see, I read this a few minutes ago, but let's hit it once again here in, in this... Uh, um, um, well, I really, I really want to get it in the Living Bible this time. We read it in the King James, but let me get it in the Living Bible. Proverbs, um, um, well, let me go to Proverbs, yeah, Proverbs 12, verse 16 here. I like the way this is worded here. This is from the, let's get it from the Moffat translation, first of all. And uh, here's what it says. A fool shows instantly that he's angry. He shows instantly that he's angry. A prudent man ignores an insult. Or as the Living Bible has it, a fool is quick-tempered. A wise man stays cool when insulted. Are we able to stay cool when insulted? Difficult, isn't it? That's what the Bible requires of us. And then here's Proverbs 17, 14. And uh, let's get this also in one of these other translations. This is a living Bible. Here's what it is. The King James Version says, The beginning of strife is as when one lets out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. And here's how the living Bible places makes it. It's hard to stop a quarrel once it starts. Isn't that true? So don't let it begin. That's the key. Don't let it begin. So overlooking insults is another good example of how we can learn to get along with others because it's going to happen. People may be well-meaning, they, they, but they simply may not know what they are doing or what they have done, how it has affected you. Next, don't be quick to get into an argument. You know what happens to people? I've seen this happen. Some situation will come up and they'll take immediate stand. That's an unwise thing. Why? Because maybe maybe on in the, in the course of the conversation when they're able to think logically, they'll see they were wrong. And it makes it that much more hard for them to admit that they were wrong. You're better off to be cautious and not take some kind of a firm stand immediately and think it over and hear all the facts before you come to a judgment. But we have these opinions in our minds and we just take a stand immediately and then even if we're disproven, we won't accept it. 
why it says here, don't be in a hurry to get into an, to a, to an argument. Uh, Proverbs uh, 25, verse number 8. Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor has put thee to shame. That's right. Now, you might not be willing to admit that you made a mistake, but everybody else will recognize it, and they'll also recognize the fact you're not willing to admit you made a mistake and you're wrong. Well, that's why it's important not to be too quick to get into an argument. I mentioned this fellow that wrote me on the Internet. Well, I mean, he hurled insults like you can't believe. I mean, he had two or three pages, all in capital letters, quoting all these scriptures and calling me everything under the sun. I just ignored him. And when he sent the second one, I thought, well, I'm not going to ignore him this time. I answered him, and of course, I haven't heard a word back from him since. But I wasn't quick to get into an argument with him. I would have rather, if he'd never written back, I probably never would have responded to him. He wouldn't let it go. Well, sometimes you have to, but we do need to recognize it is important not to be quick to get into an argument. And here in Proverbs 13, verse number 10, we read, Only by pride comes contention. We have a certain viewpoint, we have a certain concept, a certain idea about something, and uh, somebody else has a differing one, and we're going to prove them wrong immediately. What's behind that? Pride. Only by pride comes contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom they haven't been able to recognize the problem of pride, and so they don't get carried away too quickly on those things. All right, now let's uh, let's look at the next point here. Here is uh, what people will have a tendency to do, and this is don't be quick or don't try to get even. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And how many times have you seen people strive to get even? They even had a term for it back in the 60s. It was called, it was called one-upmanship. Or you could get one-up on him. Then he would probably get one-up on you, and then you'd get one-up on him again. And it went on like that. What does that lead to? Does that lead to good relations? Proverbs 20, verse number 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil. I'm going to get even. I've seen these uh, hats. You know, we we have a lot of these hats, little caps that people wear, and they have these sayings up in front. And uh, one of them I saw, you probably have seen it too, it said, I don't get mad, I get even. Well, notice here. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord. You take care of it. He may not take care of it in your lifetime. And he may not take care of it in the lifetime of the person. But he will take care of it. Because you see, he doesn't regard time the way we do. We've, we think we've got, we've got to act so, we've got to act right now and we've got to, to make it right and we've got to clear, clear, uh, to clear our names and clear ourselves. Well, who really counts? God knows, doesn't he? He'll take care of it in his time and his way. That's why you read back here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Many of these principles found in the book of Proverbs are found elsewhere in the Bible, but the book of Proverbs gives a very good summary, succinct summary of these things. So as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 15, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So if somebody is doing you wrong, it's not your place to do evil to him. Sometimes you do have to take a stand. You can't let people walk over you. But by the same token, you've got to be careful not to, uh, to seek revenge and uh, to do things that would be a discredit to God. So that leads me to the next point. Work to make peace. Try to be a peacemaker. Proverbs 16, verse number 7. Proverbs 16, verse number 7. So, you know, we do have to watch things like that. But notice here, Proverbs 16, verse number 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, if we're doing what is right, we'll live in peace. We'll enjoy the benefits of peace. If we're not, you know, there may be a reason why. James 3, verse 18 The fruits of righteousness is sown in peace. Of them, who are the receivers of peace? Of them that make peace. They don't go around trying to, to, uh, to make their point and prove themselves as though they're, they're, they're uh, really superior intellectually or whatever way to, to come out on top and they've won the game of one-upmanship. They'd rather just make peace and drop it. So that's what we do in order to to maintain peace and to have a more successful relationship in our leadings, our personal relations with others. Now next. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. Someone who's a know-it-all becomes unpopular very quickly. It's like... Uh, Will Rogers said one time, I'm paraphrasing this, he said all men are ignorant, but not in the same things. Isn't that true? We all are knowledgeable about certain fields, but we're not about others. It's like uh, I've, I've learned about certain trades. If you're into a certain trade, it has its own language. And if you don't know the language, you don't know the trade. I don't know whether you're talking about carpentry, plumbing, mechanics, Electrical, whatever it may be, it has its own language. I've certainly found that out with computers. I get some kind of a computer problem going and my son says, well, call up to computer people. And I call up to computer people and I get done talking to him and it sounds like a foreign language. I don't even know what he's talking about. I finally got to the place where I tell him, look, don't tell me to call him, you call him. I don't even know what they're saying. And it's true, with every profession, it has its own language. Well, we don't know everything about every other trade or profession, do we? So what right do we have to be a, uh, to be a know-it-all? So don't be a know-it-all. Proverbs 26, verse number 12. 
Have you known people that they have an opinion about everything? It doesn't make any difference what you bring up. They have the opinion and the answer to it. You know, when we came out of Ambassador College years ago, there was a sort of Ambassador College complex, and that complex was never to say to anyone under any circumstances, I don't know. Now, I will tell you this. When I graduated from college in 1958, I was a literal, biblical encyclopedia. You could ask me anything, and I could turn just like that to it. I can't do that anymore. Over the years, I've learned to say, I don't know. A lot of questions that people ask, you have to, if you don't know, be willing to say you don't know. Instead of giving some kind of a Philadelphia answer. And when you get done, you know, people wonder what you said. Proverbs 26, verse number 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. A fool has a better chance of being successful than someone like that. And in Proverbs 12, verse number 15. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now, what is the opposite here? What's the opposition? Notice the next part of the verse. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. In other words, you'll find people that... Uh, they won't ask anybody any questions because they, they don't want people to know they don't know something about a subject. It's not an insult to ask about something you don't know about. If you find somebody that's condescending because you ask him, that's his problem. That's not yours. And Proverbs 12, verse number 1. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. I can tell you, don't be adverse to taking instruction either from a woman or a man. There are many, many knowledgeable women in various fields that are very knowledgeable, and you can certainly get help from them. Don't think for one moment, because it's a woman, she doesn't have any sense or any knowledge. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is stupid. That's what the word brutish means. He's stupid. He's like a brute. He that hateth reproof is stupid. So we have to be willing to learn and not be a know-it-all. Now next. Don't be a meddler. Now I'll tie right in with that because who is a meddler but a criticizer? Meddling and criticizing are the same thing. Now, why do people criticize? Well, there's a number of reasons they criticize, but the primary underlining, re underlying reason is because it makes them feel important. It gives them a sense of being. So they're able to sit back and evaluate and look at this and look at that, and they're sort of on a superior level of everyone else. Now, I can tell you what it is. It's nothing but vanity. It's all it is is vanity. Usually people who are busy going about doing the criticizing, they've never been authorized by God to do criticisms. Where does God give any of us the right to go around criticizing others? We don't even do it in the ministry. That's what we have the pulpit for. We can speak from the pulpit, and we can do it in a general sense, and we wouldn't say anything to anybody unless it really became a church problem. 
But I can tell you, it's, it's nothing but a form of meddling, meddling in other people's affairs, meddling in other people's business, often based on not knowing the real facts, not knowing the story behind it, not knowing everything that's involved with it, and just coming to a conclusion, one way or the other, you think is the answer. may not be the answer at all. What you need to realize about meddling. Notice Proverbs 20, verse number 3. Proverbs 20, verse number 3. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. You know what happens when people get into a situation where there's strife? They don't want to back down. Or if they back down, they don't want to back down where they lose face. I mean, this is such a fetish with uh, certain Oriental people that if they lose faith, they'll commit suicide. <clears throat> So what it says here is, it's an honor for a man to cease from strife. What does it take to cease from strife? Does it take backing down and getting away from the situation? May very well do so. You know, there are times if you get into some kind of a strifeful situation, the wisest thing you can do is just walk away. Don't stay there and let it go on. I was riding on a train from from Paris back down to Basel, Switzerland. It was one of those bullet trains, and it was going 185 miles an hour. And there was a couple in front of us. Now they, they had to be American because they had American accent. I noticed when I got on the train, she was looking down, looking just like she's looking right through the people, looking down the other end of the car, and she was looking at this man. She had real blue eyes, and you could see those eyes just looking at that man. He came down and sat down beside her, and they had a little girl. And um, whether it was their girl, whether it was an adopted child, I don't know. They were in the seat in front of us. And they got into an argument. And it went on. It must have gone on for 15 minutes. It was, yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Just, that's all they said. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It just went on and on endlessly. I don't know how it finally stopped, but I thought to myself, am I going to hear this all the way down to Basel? That's what people do. They don't want to be the last one. They want the last word in, and they don't want to back down. Well, that's not what the Bible says to do. It's an honor for a man to cease from strife. And then notice the next part of the verse here, because here's what we want to tie right in with it, because look what's involved. But every fool will be meddling. Every fool will be meddling. He'll be meddling on other people's business, meddling in other people's affairs. Criticizing this, criticizing that, giving his opinion here, giving his opinion there. What's it amount to? Who's going to be the one to do the judging? Not you or not me. So what we better realize about uh, being this type of a person. Proverbs 26, verse number 17. I've always got an enjoyment out of this one here because I've had this happen a few times. He that passes by and meddles, meddles with strife belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by the ears. Have you ever grabbed a dog by the ears? You grab a dog by the ears or you even grab him up high around the neck and I tell you, he's got an uncanny knack for just twisting around in his whole skin and biting you good. And I've drawn blood on my hands a few times from things like that. I've learned. I've never... 
made it a habit to meddle in other people's business, but I've grabbed a few dogs like that to my chagrin. That's a good example. He that passes by and meddles with strife belonging not to him. It isn't any of his affair. What does he have to do with it? Is like one that takes a dog by the ears. So that's a very good example we can all utilize and put to practice when it comes to the matter of meddling in other people's affairs, making concerns that are others our concerns. Well, we have no right or business to do so. Sure, if it's something that affects us personally, that's another matter. But most of the time it will not be. Proverbs 18, verse number 6. A fool's lips enter into contention. It's got to enter into it and say something. Got to tell somebody off. And I don't know if you've ever done that yourself, if you've ever told somebody off. How'd you feel afterwards? Did it make you feel edified, built up? Did it make you feel happy? Those things, those things don't make you happy. A fool's lips enter in con into contention, contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. In other words, he's very apt to get smitten over it. Somebody's liable to strike him. I, uh, I've hobnobbed around with people in the past. I can tell you, you just said the wrong word, and you'd have a busted nose. And that's the way a lot of people are in this world. Fortunately, God has been kind to us, and and uh, we haven't had to be exposed to people like that. But maybe some of us do in our workplace. Well, I can tell you, controlling the tongue is important. And not meddling in other people's affairs is a very important principle. Now next. Don't try to rebuke a scorner. You're wasting your time. Notice Proverbs 9, verses 7 and 8. He that reproves a scorner getteth to himself shame. That's all you're going to get out of it. He's not going to appreciate what you do. He's not interested in your opinion, even though he may deserve a rebuke. It isn't going to do any good. He that reproves a scorner gets to himself shame, and he that rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blot. Rebuke not a scorner lest he hate you. You want somebody to loathe you and despise you, rebuke a scorner. You're better off just to ignore him and leave him alone, not waste your time with him. It's a waste of time and effort to be involved with someone like that. Now, here's the next one. I think this is very interesting. And right here, we can apply the first law of debate. And what is the first law of debate? Never argue with a fool. People may not know the difference. So just keep that in mind. Proverbs 26, beginning verse number 4. We're really looking at two kinds of fools here. It says here in verse 4, Answer a fool according to uh, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be also like unto him. In other words, what he's bringing up is so foolish and so stupid and so out of place 
just to give him credit by answering him is doing yourself a disservice. So don't waste your time with him. But now we have the second kind of a fool, and that's this one. Answer a fool according to his folly. Sometimes you have to answer a fool, depending on what he brings up, lest he be wise in his own conceit. If he isn't uh, uh, told the uh, alternative, or he isn't given the correct, uh, the, cor the correct answer, he'll think he knows it all. So sometimes you have to answer, depending on the circumstance. It takes wisdom to know how to do that, and when to do it. Matthew 15, beginning here in verse number 1. Matthew 15, verse number 1. Here's an example of how Jesus handled it. This is, I think, a good, good example, a good case in point. Then came the Pharisees, uh, to their, their, uh, there came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat. And he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? How did he answer them? With another question. He just threw a question right back to them. That might be something to keep in mind when you're involved with someone who uh, is proposing some foolish thing. Just ask him a question right back. The problem with so many of us, we, many of us is that we do not have the gift of repartee. That is, we don't have a fast mind, a very fast mind, where we can think very quickly and answer back almost instantly. Most of us don't do that. And we, after, after the incident happens and we think it over, then we remember, how many times has this happened to you? You know what I should have said? I should have said so-and-so. Well, you're probably better off not to say anything than to say the wrong thing. But that's a good example right there of how to handle it. And then the last thing I'd like to talk about here, when we, uh, we lived up in a little town there in Montana, and we had some neighbor, neighbors, and we, were, we really liked them. They were, they were good people. In fact, the, uh, the elderly gentleman, he used to take me out with him every once in a while. We'd go pheasant hunting during the pheasant season. And uh, it was really, uh, you know, they, they were really nice people. One of the sons, uh, well, actually both of them were in during World War II. One of them was wounded two or three times in Europe. One of them got out of the Navy. He wasn't injured, but they, 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 were, they were fine folks. But they had a habit that every time we'd see them come, we'd laugh. We never, ever got upset or bitter about it, but it, every, we'd see them come, we'd laugh. They were always coming over and say, I'd like to borrow a, a piece of butter. I'd like to borrow some sugar. I'd like to borrow a little coffee. Drink. It was always, can I borrow this? And never once did they ever repay anything. We knew they were just coming over to get it, and of course... We didn't mind, but well, we was always a, a standing joke in the family when we saw them come because we knew they were going to, to ask for something. Now, that was a sort of a harmless thing. That wasn't anything wrong. But I can tell you, there are times when people wear, they wear out their welcome. Notice Proverbs 25, verse number 27. Here's a good principle. You're visiting with someone, you're staying with someone. Do you wear out your welcome? Do you stay too long? Do you wear them out? Proverbs 25, verse 17. Withdraw your foot from your neighbor's house, lest he be weary of you, and so hate thee. 
Now, more than likely, he's not going to insult you and run you out of the house, but he'll probably wish he could. So just remember, uh, here are a number of examples from the book of Proverbs on improving personal relations with others. We become aware of these things, and uh, we make an attempt to, um, to profit by them. And if we remind ourselves occasionally of these things, it should help us all to get along better.